you today. Um, I'm going to make just a pastoral observations first. Hey, y'all. And then uh, we'll pray, and then we'll get into the, the text for today, okay? So, uh, pastoral thing I just want us all to know of and be attentive to. Um, we know our community. We're, we're not the, the largest one in the city, and yet there, there is a lot of just physical ailments in our community. I heard about some of it before sabbatical, during sabbatical, and then came back and just had this awareness that like, wow, our health is something we're learning to deal with. Uh, some of them are things that are going to heal quickly because of surgeries or quicker fixes like that, but other ones are things we're learning to live with, right? And it's, it's not like one individual, even though one individual would matter. It's a lot of us are just learning, how do I live faithfully when my body seems to be failing in different ways or decaying at a different speed? How do we do this? Um, and I, I bring that up to say there's something powerful to physically being together and to physically being praying with each other. And so I want to encourage you, you know, I, we're, we're never keeping attendance and that kind of stuff. Uh, we care more about your just discipleship and your relationship with Jesus than anything. But we might be in a season where we need to see each other. And, and we need to say, like, hey, I need prayer. I know the Pastor Cat talked about it this summer when you guys were going through Acts, about how there's just something to being honest and vulnerable and physically together that we need community for that. And I think we need that here and now. And I think one of the blind spots to the U.S. church in particular is that a lot of times faith is in our head, right? That's why we're really good at faith on Sunday morning and really bad at it throughout the week. Faith is to be lived out in all of our body. Faith is a somatic thing. It is every part of it. Faith needs to touch our trauma, needs to touch our ailments, all of that. And, and I say that to say, not every week, but we're going to talk about that this fall and in this season. Just how do we faithfully live believing in this eternal God as we are in frames and, and bodies that seem to be wearing out at different rates? And um, if you're feeling that, you're not alone. And that's part of why we come here. That's part of why we gather as a group is to be like, oh, I'm not alone in this. And there's people who really genuinely love me and care for me that I can say, hey, can, can you pray for me? Can you bring me a meal? Can you? So we, we do meal train kind of things. Watch, there's going to be more. Uh, because we have some dates ahead where people are, are having surgeries or having other things like that. And uh, continue being you uh, and caring for one another, praying for one another. Um, if you are one who's going through things, please don't feel like you are too much. That's what I hear a lot, is like, my problems are too much, you got enough of your own. I don't. You are not too much for this community. Your health, your challenges, all of these things are not too much. That's why we're here. And if you were asking me to carry it myself, maybe it would be, but you're not. Nobody is. We're asking all of us to bring this before Jesus together. And 
uh, Jesus' shoulders are pretty broad. He, he can handle it. And, and we can hold each other up. Okay? If there's a time where I know that you are needed here, it's, it's right now. Because we've got people who are, we've always been a collection of people who are hurting, right? In different ways. That's us. That's just part of our identity. But it's different right now. And, and so thanks for physically being present. Thanks for being present on, on Zoom. And um, yeah, it, it matters to the folks around you. Let's, let's pray for our health and, and for God's presence here. And then we're going to dive into a text that, yeah, is a little bigger than we usually do. So let's do that. God, I, I believe that you are still healing. You, you are still the God who mends both in our bodies and us together. Uh, I believe you do it in different ways because you're creative and all things are new, and yet that's still who you are. I believe that death and decay are the result of corporate large letter sin, not, not necessarily a particular sin in our life, but they... They come at us, and some of us here, our bodies hurt, or they don't work the same, or doctors have weird news for us, or no news yet. I pray that you would stir within us a great faith to your goodness and your faithfulness, and that you would teach us what it looks like to remain in you, to remain faithful in you, to become even more community than we've experienced so far, and uh, that we would do this with joy, knowing that above everything, above all other stories, we are your daughters and your sons because you said so. So thanks. Be with us now as we look at your text. Let this be more than my words and some ancient words written long before, but Holy Spirit, would you please work in our hearts to stir something in each one of us. In your name, amen. So, you know, I, I had some time to go think, and if we've hung out before, I, I think a bit, and I ponder a bit, and so when I don't go to work for seven weeks, there's a lot of pondering that happens, so you're going to hear about it a little bit the next couple of weeks, but one of the things that I pondered way too much was this, this phrase that we use a lot, uh, because it's biblical, it's not original to us, but the idea of the image of God, we talk about that a lot, right? That, uh, that we are made in the image of God, and I was like, that's a weird phrase that feels very disconnected from my life because I don't th talk about things being the image of something very often. So kind of, I, I tried to stay away from books for the first time in my life, so I, I, I just tried to remember things. And like, okay, the image of God, that gets brought up in like coinage is, is what that was really most familiar to people then is like you have a coin that has the, the image of the leader that says that that coin really matters. But Right now, like, I guess England is transferring all of their coins and bills that have the queen on them. In the next few, I heard six months to a couple years, they're going to try to replace every single one of those with now with the king on them, which is fascinating that all of those bills go away. If you're a collector of random things, go get yourself a coin or a bill because they're going away. But that is to say that those coins and bills mean something because they have the image of the queen on them, right? And then now the image of the king. That's where this image of God stuff happens. But you are not a coin. I am not a coin. 
So like, how does this flush out? And I started thinking about when we see our image. But when we see our image, probably now, for most of us, is when we're like making a video for somebody. Or when we're on a Zoom call and there are faces. Or, you know, like in a selfie or something like that. And there's something to, like, if you're a photographer, you know how to do really cool things with photos. But if you're like me, that's not good photography. Like, I shake crazy. And I know nothing of photography. So it is just whatever. But I'm thinking and pondering all of this when I'm at this little pond thing. And I look in the pond, and there I see me. And you know when you look in, in water, and if, if, you're, if you sit still long enough, which I apparently do, and the water's kind of still, it's, it's really interesting what comes back at you. You look weird in water. You look different. Because there's a little bit of ripples in the water. There's waves. There's light and shadows and all that kind of stuff. And you can recognize yourself, but that reflection looks pretty different, right? We're going to be talking about that reflection a little bit and what that means and who you are and what this reflection looks like. And, and so if image of God is something that's never really stuck in your mind, then I want to give you this other thing that's kind of maybe a step to the side. It's like maybe if, if image of God doesn't, doesn't impact you on a normal Wednesday, then maybe think of like, okay, I'm a reflection of God. And when I look and see that reflection, what comes back at me is God. And if I don't see myself that way, maybe I need to correct the way that I see myself. Because that's what God is saying, is that you and I are meant to be reflections of Him. Okay, we're going to journey with somebody who had their own little journey on this. We're going to go with King Saul for a few moments. We're going to start in chapter 9, and we're going to kind of go a little bit quick through Saul's journey. And here's what I want to ask of you. You guys are so kind to make this like a library. We, we don't have to. So I'm going to ask some questions. I'm not really asking me. Go ahead and like respond. There, there's, there's enough of us and, and few enough of us that we can like have a little bit of a dialogue, okay? So let's, let's do that. If you don't want to, I'm not mad at you. But it just, it just helps the day feel less library-like. Okay. In 9, verse 2, Benjamin, who was a man of wealth, had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. Oh, uh, no, it wasn't. I'm sorry. Kish had this whole line. But anyway, he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. He stood head and shoulders above everyone else. Okay, what is the true story of Saul? He's the son of somebody who's rich, right? What else? He's handsome. A bit subjective. But apparently the Bible says that he's handsome, as if that is just one look. He, he's got that look. Whatever that is, whatever, uh, he's popular. Okay, he's tall, like legit tall. Head and shoulders is 
That's, that's big. Even if they were shorter people back then, head and shoulders is a lot taller than someone who is like not head and shoulders, yeah. right? Yes. So we've got a wealthy, handsome, uh, tall guy. Fair? Okay, let's go on. Uh, as, as Saul's life goes on, he meets this prophet named Samuel as he's going to look for his livestock that ran away, Saul's livestock. And here Samuel and Saul, they walk together, and in response to what God has told Samuel, Samuel does this in, in 10.1. And I encourage you, go read all of this for yourself this week because I'm leaving out so much good stuff, but, you know, usually you want to leave at some point on Sunday. In 10.1, it says this, Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him. And he said, the Lord has anointed you ruler over the people of Israel. You shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their enemies all around. Now this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you ruler over his heritage. And he gives this, this clear sign of that God is going to confirm to Saul that, yes, you are to be the ruler. Now, they've never had a ruler. They've never had a king. All their neighboring peoples have had kings. They've never had one. They've wanted one. God has resisted. And then finally was like, fine, you get one. And Samuel anoints Saul. And Saul, this tall, handsome guy, then finds out that he's going to be king. And it doesn't stop there. This is a memorable day, but it doesn't stop. In verse 9, we, say, we see that, and he turned away to leave Samuel, and God gave him another heart. And all of these signs were fulfilled that day. Okay, those of us who've been like overly churched might know the end of this story and might be feeling like, oh, God's giving them a king that they won't like and being like, well, that's what you wanted, you know. But that's not what this is. Saul is anointed to be the king. He's given a new heart. Now, I don't think this is like he went through surgery. I think this is in like the Old Testament usage of, of heart, which is like your being. So this brand new being comes into him, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit to us, after... Uh, Acts, the book of Acts happens, we, we know that at this point in, in history, the Holy Spirit comes to live within people, and that's something we got to deal with. But at, at this point that Saul is, the Holy Spirit doesn't live in everybody, but is in Saul. And Saul has a new heart and is a radically different person. So what are the stories so far that we have that are true of King Saul? What are they? Anybody got one? He's handsome. He's tall. He's rich. He's anointed king. And he's got a new heart. Right? That's a, that's a lot so far. We're not done yet. Okay, look at this now. This is a longer text, so bear with me. Samuel summoned the people. Samuel's the prophet again, okay? He's gathering the entire nation here. He summons the people to the Lord at Mizpah and said to the Israelites, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought, you, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and I rescued you 
from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you've rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses, and you've said no, but set a king over us. Now therefore present yourself before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. So let me give you the... What he's saying is, I didn't want you to have a king, but you wanted a king, so I'm giving you a king. So line up. I'm going to pick who my, my king is. And this is kind of comical. So he's telling a nation, like, line up in order. Like, oh, oh okay. Like, you ever do those, like, family? My, my, my dad had uh, eight brothers and sisters, right? And sometimes we would awkwardly do a family photo where you have to, like, find your tribe ultimately and go stand in order of height divided up in nine different groups. That was a mess. That'd take, like, 45 minutes to, like, find your people and get in line and be, or, you know, nobody's smiling correctly and little Joey's over in the corner, and like, he's doing that with a nation. Like, line up. We're going to pick your king. Then Samuel brought out all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken. Then he brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its families, and the family of the Matrites was taken by Lot. Finally, he brought the family of the Matrites near man by man, and Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought Saul, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, did the man come here? And the Lord said, see, he has hidden himself among the baggage. And they ran and brought him from there. And when he took his stand among the people, he was head and shoulders taller than any of them. Samuel said to all the people, do you see the one whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among the people. And all the people shouted, long live the king. This is comical. The nation lines up and he says, all right, which tribe? And they cast lots. And this is a whole other subject, but how God chooses to work through the casting of lots, I don't know. Today we'd be like, that, that seems silly. Like God's got to show up another way. But God keeps showing up that way. So they cast lots and all of a sudden the tribe of Benjamin, like, come on, step forward. So the whole tribe comes forward. This is not like four people. This is like a tribe. The whole tribe comes forward. And then they cast lots again. And one, one like grandfather's family steps forward. And remember, Saul's already anointed. So it's like they're, they're shaking loaded dice, right? Like God knows what's coming. Samuel's not manipulating at this point. Just, it's just happening. So grandpa's people come forward. Then all of a sudden, Saul's dad's people come forward. They cast again, and they're like, okay, where's Saul? And they can't find Saul. And they're like, God, he's not, he didn't even show up. Where is he? And then God says somehow, and I don't know how, if it's an audible voice, if it's through these lots, we don't really know. But God says, go check the luggage. That's where your king is. Go check the, the lost bags over there. He's laying in the midst of them. That's wild. And so they go move some suitcases, some garment bags, and there's your mighty king. And he comes out, and he's head and shoulders taller than everybody. And they're like, wow, he is. And Samuel's like, look how great he looks. And like, wow, he does. Long live the king. There's a lot going on here. Why is he hiding in the baggage? What story do you think is most true to Saul? 
Because so far, every story we've looked at makes him think, yeah, I should be king. I'm the handsome one. I'm the tall one. I'm the rich one. I should be king. Well, Saul says, I'm from the smallest tribe. And I am from the least of the fathers. So there's one story that he grabs onto. It's like, no, you don't, you don't pick someone like me. And he grabs onto it so tightly that he hides in the luggage, hope, hoping that the lots would just find somebody else. Was he tall and handsome? Yeah. Is he anointed king? Yeah. Does he have a new heart? Yeah. But he's also from the smallest family in the smallest tribe. As this goes on, just two verses later, it says that Saul also went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went warriors whose hearts God had touched. So he's already got like a, an army with him, right? But some worthless fellows, that's a great translation, said, how can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present, but he held his peace. Okay, so what true stories do we have so far? Help me out. Yep, we have his hometown. He's still tall. He's still handsome. He's still from money, right? He's got a new heart. But he's from the smallest tribe, the smallest family. And there's some, I hate the phrase, worthless people. Like, that is cruel. But there's some people who doubt him. All those are going on, right? All of those are happening. And he chose to hold his peace at this point. But here's what has to happen. I think, well, let, let me backtrack. I think for us, most often what we come against and need to come against and try to come against are lies. And we lie to ourselves, and we have been lied to. And you need to come against those. I, this is, I'm not giving a different story. If you are telling yourself lies, start to tell yourself the truth. But there's something else that happens. Sometimes the truth compiles, and we have to find out what is the truest thing. I don't know if that's a word, but we're in a church, so we're going to say it's a word. Which is the truest story? Because he is tall, but he is from the smallest tribe. He is anointed, but he does have doubters. He is wealthy, but his wealthy dad is the smallest of within that small tribe. All of those things are true. And he has to order them to pick out which one is the most true so that he can live into the thing that is the most true. Because when he goes through his day, he will live out of the reality of which thing he believes is most true, even if he didn't consciously pick it. And so what happens? Saul gets into a moment where he needs God on his side, but he is terrified that God isn't on his side. So he doesn't wait for Samuel, and he offers an offering himself. He does all of these things, and when I read it, it sounds like macho bravado, right? It sounds like he is just out there being the big man, but we are told something very, very different 
in Scripture. When it finally comes to a head and God calls him out and God moves on from him as king, we're told in 1 Samuel 15, 17 that Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you over Israel. We're told here what story he believed to be most true. You are anointed. You have a new heart. You, all of these things are for you. You have mighty warriors around you, which as someone who doesn't really like war, all of this makes my eye twitch. But all of this evidence to what God has done. But at the end of the day, at the end of his kingdom reign, he served that entire time as someone who was too small in his own eyes. Why? Because he believed something that was true, but it was less true than what God had said. Does that make some sense? Okay, here's why this matters. And you can answer this in your head. You can answer it out loud, but this is for your head. What are your stories? Like this would be worth spending a half hour today. Go pour a cup of coffee or tea or something like that. Grab a piece of paper and write down, what are my stories? What are the stories that I've lived by? And even worse than the lies in some ways, because we at least know, like, i got to attack lies. What are the ones that are true but are less true? Reality is some people that we love told us things that weren't helpful. And that happened. My dad told me some things that were the way that Ness has worked, that now that I'm older, I'm like, no, nah, we don't work that way. We don't. It's true that we did, but it was also kind of sinful that we did. And so we don't work like that. We don't have to. There are certain habits that you picked up when you were just simply surviving that were fine when you were surviving, but now that you are not surviving anymore, now that you're at a stage of like, oh no, God's caring for me. That, they don't have to be true of you anymore. They don't have to be things that you do anymore. There are people that you have hurt or sins that you've committed. And I'm not saying that that's not true, but if you're living as if that is the truest thing about you, you're missing out. There's trauma that happened to you, and the fear, particularly within a church, is that someone will look at you and say, that doesn't really matter. It didn't happen. It's not that important. God is bigger. I am saying God is bigger, but I'm not saying it's not important. Our body memorizes all of our trauma. And that's why our body needs to have faith start to mend and heal it and reorder the true stories within us. Over and over, we've talked about this same verse. You're children of God because God said so. And many of us believe it when we say it, but that is number 14 on the list of true things about us. And I, all I'm saying this morning is I want to invite you to reorder things. So what stories are you carrying of your family of origin, of what you have done, of what has been done to you, of what Scripture says, but even more important than what Scripture says, of what the Holy Spirit has confirmed about Scripture in your life? What Scriptures has God illuminated in you where you know, oh, I had that experience where I know that I know that I know 
that that is God at work within me. But I started to forget, or that's number 17 on my list. You see, Saul chose what was most true. He never had a ceremony. He never had it as like his campaign slogan, like, I'm the least. He didn't do that. But he lived in a way each and every day where he was little in his own eyes, even though everyone else was like, long live that king. Well, everyone except that small group of people, right? And most likely when that small group of people came up, he just agreed with them. He added his amen, as we've talked about. He was like, nah, you guys are right. I just hope I'm not found out. I don't want you and I to pick that same thing. Last week I shared with you that on sabbatical I asked God to remind me of God and I, of what we've gone through together, of, of what's meaningful for, for God and I, what scriptures come alive. And it was a beautiful couple days where God just reminded me, this, this is true. And I came back from Colorado feeling like, you know what, that is the most true thing of me, more than being a pastor or a dad or a husband or a friend, any of that, the most true thing of me is like, you know what, it's weird to say as a guy, I'm beloved. It's just true. I could just sit on my couch and eat ice cream and I'm still beloved. And because I'm beloved, I don't have to just sit on my couch and eat ice cream. But I don't want you to eat off of my memory. I want you to have your own time. So when I was at my mom's, we looked through some, some family photos, and she sent me a box back home, and in the box was my, my baby pictures. And my goodness, I was adorable. No, just kidding. But it, it made me think of, like, photos now, and, and this is my old man moment. Just bear with me. Photos now, like, we, we're different with them, right? Like, we're not like, I hope that worked. We're like taking 17 and then picking the one that we smiled in. And most often, not always, but most often photos now are to share this moment with people who weren't able to be there. And I'm not saying that's a bad, that's great. It's actually built some community and all that. But the photos back in the day were so that I remember. They were all about memory, Right? There's someday we're going to love this. We're going to make fun of the clothes that you're wearing, all that kind of stuff. And we do that now with photos. It'll come up as a memory on our social media, or we'll, we'll, instead of scrolling, we'll look through photos one day. Like, they still function that way. But that's the only thing they were before, was just a way to remember. And I think remembering is incredibly important, especially when we're deciding what is most true. So in a moment, we're going to move into our, our time of communion. And you are going to, if you want, you can receive communion the way you typically do, which is you get this delicious little cup, and you will take the wafer and the juice and, and do that. But I want to encourage you to, we will, I want to invite you to try something different today. In Catholic churches and in Presbyterian churches, some other places as well, there's often a little bowl of water when you walk in. And when you walk in, you, you look in it, and you put your hand in it. And you put your hand in it, not just so that you wash your hand or like to get your hand wet. You put your hand in it to remember your baptism. That's the significance of this. 
And we're going to have a moment here. There's going to be a song that plays. We're going to have a moment to, to do that very thing, to remember our baptisms. Now, if you're somebody who was not baptized, it's okay. You're not bad. If you want to be baptized, come talk to me, and, and we can set up a time for you to be baptized. Uh, if you don't want to be baptized, you can still come talk to me. We're friends. It's okay. If you have been baptized, what this is is a, is a time to, uh, I want to invite you to even look in the bowl and dip your hand in, in the water. And this is, it's just water from the bathroom right there. It's not like water that I got from the Pope or anything. But it's, it's significant because God's present. And our baptism is significant, not even because we had everything figured out, but because God says that there's something that happens in baptism. That there's a new life, a new heart like Saul has that's represented in this baptism, right? And so we're just going to take a couple minutes as, as a community here. You can walk up as a family unit. You can walk up with a friend. You can walk up alone. You can stay in your seat and receive communion if you would like. Whatever you want, this is your moments. And the goal is that we are open to the Holy Spirit speaking to us and helping us to reorder what is true about us. If you are wanting some prayer, either before you remember your baptism and take communion or after, uh, Sarah has offered to, to pray. I know that there's other people who are willing to, if someone's praying with with Sarah, go ahead and just move to one of the sides if you would like some prayer, and someone's going to join you there. We're, we've got a great community. Uh, but in, in a moment, the, the music will start, and you can go to... And he's got a lot of communion over there. He's ready for you. Uh, but um, you can go to Pastor Rob, Pastor Kat, myself, any of us, and is this kind of clear what we're doing? I know it's a little different. We, we do different stuff. You guys are okay. Let, let me pray, and, and um, we'll walk through this together.